ground control to Major Tom, your circuit's dead. Well, hello, Michelle. Hello, Geordie. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, What's going on? Well, I'm still in Sweden. Oh, lucky you. And I got bitten by a bloody dog. Oh, my God. Did you bite it back? Do you know what? I wish I could have. And I didn't even give it a kick. I just fell off my bike and started crying like a five-year-old. It was embarrassing. That's shocking to be bitten by a a dog. No one likes that. No, it, it sucked. And I had, like, blood pouring down my leg. I encourage my dog not to bite people. Yeah, thank you. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. <laughs> and I hope you're I hope you're a dog poop picker upper. Oh yes. When she poops where people might walk. Where when it's where someone look, I'm not gonna talk about it on air because I'm gonna get into trouble. I don't yeah. always pick it up, is what I'm saying. It's natural. It it goes it goes into the ground. When it's in a bush, no one's gonna walk in there, are they? No. But people do sometimes poo in a bush. I've pooed near a bush. If you've pooed in a bush, Michelle, did you pick your poo up? I covered it up. Well, that's what I do with my dog's poo. Yeah, all right. But we're not allowed to talk about poo, remember? Natty J doesn't like it. She's probably one of many listeners who don't like it when we talk about the poo. I know. What is it with the poo? Scatological podcast. Here we are. Well, and we are here. This is the eavesdropping podcast you have tuned into. Well done. Congratulations. Thank you for joining us. We love it. (laughs) I'm Geordie. That's Michelle. I am Michelle and you are eavesdropping on our conversation. So you got any uh, news, any tips, tips, tricks, news, what's going on? No, just that um, I just felt a bit embarrassed that I thought Tom Hanks was in a, a <laughs> in a Philadelphia experiment. No, you're absolutely right. It was an AIDS story. And yeah. the movie that I had talked about was, I think, from the 80s. With yeah. a guy who literally had no career. I know I say this about a lot of people, but Michael Paré, I don't know what he did afterwards, but he was I know gorgeous that in that movie. Gorgeous. What was it called? The Philadelphia Experiment. Experiment. Harking back to our last week's episode we're talking about here, aren't we? When we discussed Mind Control, MK Ultra, and the origin story of Stranger Things. That's episode 24, season three, Peoples, if you haven't heard it yet. Very good. Very good remembering. Well, it was only last week, so it's pretty easy. <laughs> I don't remember anything. I, I haven't got any news on the Lynn Dawson case this week, but it was pretty shocking. I did have a couple of people saying they just can't believe how that case is going. So, The fact that the police said, oh, yeah, we know she's under the pool. And I was talking to another Australian about it. Maybe some people who aren't Australian don't know as much about this case if mm. you don't please listen to Teacher's Pet Podcast. If you've never heard a podcast before, well, it won't be true because you're listening to this one. But if you want to hear a (laughs) really fascinating one, listen to Teacher's Pet because it is so gripping and it's about a true story. And Mm. there's more going on now about, thanks to that podcast, there's more information coming out now. And this is how they caught potentially the culprit. We can't say for sure because he hasn't been, has he been convicted? No, it's, he's, having his trial right now that's what's happening he's yeah. been charged with murder uh cuz his wife disappeared he's been charged with murder and murder. <laughs> you sound like a lamb murder. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh yeah there's no conclusion yet it's still running so 
Yeah, it's it's okay. pretty scary stuff. But you know, podcasts have the power to change change lives. I wonder if ours has done that. Absolutely, we do get lovely Whose messages. Lives have we changed. We do get messages saying, you know, we we pick people up when they're feeling down, and that Aww. sometimes, you know. They will hear something and feel really inspired, and that's changing lives. But I was thinking more Yay. about serial podcast, even though that podcast did not get any kind of legal resolution. You know, you look at Teacher's Pet, and that now yeah. has it's resulted in a trial. Yeah, it triggered a trial. So, yeah, it's really, really powerful stuff, people. People. <laughs> I mean, talking about changing lives, we had that guy comment, didn't we? Two, a couple of episodes ago, you posted something on our YouTube channel, which prompted a listener, Colin Robinson, not the energy vampire from what we do in the shadows. I think his name was something like that, wasn't it? <laughs> to like explain to us about the multiverse and the bubble theory and things mm. like that. And we promised to look into it. So I did a little bit of digging this week, Michelle, to talk about that to you. Great. I can't wait to hear it because I didn't dig at all. Sorry. Well, you don't have to because I can tell you. Would you like me to tell you about it? Oh, please do. I'm all ears. This week, Michelle, it's all a bit kind of science-based. Science-based. We're just going to explore a bit of a bit of science because we don't know much about science. We do have a resident, if you're not aware of this, listeners, we do have a resident scientist on board as a sometime researcher. His name is Neil He's a scientist, even has his own jingle. He's a friend of Michelle's and he likes to comment occasionally on Bunsen burners and flat earth and things like that. Very helpful. Neil the scientist. Neil. He's real. Neil the scientist. Neil. He's a scientist. Neil. Orange peel. He blinded us with science. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about the bubble theory because you did raise it. But mm -hmm. before I do, you know what, Michelle, because of this, I my ears pricked up when I was listening to the news the other day. Did you hear that recently in Australia, astronomers discovered what is believed to be the fastest growing black hole of the past nine billion years? Ooh. Are you serious? I am serious. It's called a supermassive black hole and I'm not talking about the news song. <laughs> but how is that not made absolute headlines everywhere? It was on the news. Neil needs to really get in touch because he'll be right in there with all this stuff. I'd say so because it started in Australia and it was on the news and it's called the supermassive black hole. Let me tell you all I know about it, which isn't very much, I'm sorry, but it, it says it consumes the equivalent of one Earth every second and has the mass of three billion suns it's estimated. That's quite frightening, isn't it? Well, when you say consumes, I just feel like a big jab of the heart is there just like with all these lovely universes. God, that is terrifying. Earths. Like an what? earth. An earth. I mean, but every three seconds. Did I that's say a that? little that's a little snack. That's a little morsel. Yeah. So Wow. The scientists were in Australia, they discovered this luminous object and they could have missed it. It was being powered by a supermassive black hole, as I said before, and they discovered it by using a 1.3-metre telescope. It's called something, but it's lots of numbers and things, so I didn't include that in my information. 1.3-metre? Yeah. That's, that's not long. Maybe that's not right. I don't know. I don't. Well, maybe it is. It just seems like that's Maybe I not... missed a zero off. 
I don't know. I think that's right. Yeah, it could be Help. right. Help. <laughs> but they discovered it. Their, their telescope was based in Coonabara Bran. Do you know where that is? It's in New South Wales in Australia. Coonabara Bran. Oh, gosh. Coonabara I feel like it's a, it's a, like a rural place. It's a breakfast cereal. Coonabara Coon- Bran. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Michelle. Anyway, they say that it's more or less halfway across the universe. That's how far away it is. They say the light that we're seeing from this growing black hole has been traveling to us for about 7 billion years. Think about this in in this scale, Michelle. The Big Bang occurred an estimated 13.8 billion years ago. This thing has been traveling for about 7 billion years. Long old time. Wow. It's been there for all that time. Hasn't eaten us yet. Those numbers have just scrambled me. Sorry. I'm scrambled. It's just, it's a case of... Billions of years, right? So the Big Bang was Mm. the event that created our universe. That's what scientists are working on that theory now, amongst Mm. other theories. But that is the main theory, right? That main Mm -hmm. accepted theory. Correct me if I'm wrong, Neil, the scientist. And seven, so that was 13.8 billion years ago. Seven billion years ago, this black hole started and got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's consuming and consuming and consuming. No one knows what goes on in there. No one knows what it's doing. They don't seem too concerned. Well, no, because but this is this goes back into this whole kind of theory of, well, inside that black hole there are multi more universes possibly. Yes, and just going along its own, their own little merry way. I mean, yeah. imagine a giant ate a Malteser, and that was Earth, yeah. and then it's just inside that giant doing something, bouncing else. around, saying hi to some kidneys, yeah, passing the spleen. <laughs> So it just, you know, life goes on, just it's changed. In a different way. Exactly. Yeah. I like your take on it, Michelle. It seems to have calmed me somewhat. <laughs> Good. Giant with a Malteser. You can have that one. So they've just discovered that. But guess what? They also recently discovered another object in space. And it's an object that was floating just in randomly in space. Okay. And they've named it. It's called, you're going to love this. It's called Umwamwa. How do you even know you're saying that properly? I know I'm saying it properly because I Googled it. Umwamwa. And it's spelled O-U-M-U-A-M-U-A. And I think it's a Hawaiian word and I can't remember what it means. Oh. Umwamwa. It's actually got a comma at the beginning. O-U-M-U-A-M-U-A. Hang on. Umwamwa. (laughs) (laughs) But this object, Michelle, it's relatively small. It's estimated to be between 100 and 1,000 metres long. I know that's a, a... vast difference but you know it's way away Mm -hmm. so that's 300 to 3,000 feet the width and thickness are both estimated to range between 35 and 167 meters which is 115 and about 550 foot Mm -hmm. and it's got a red color similar to objects that have been seen in the outer solar system okay just floating just just hanging out just probably traveling at huge speeds these things are being discovered more and more. Because people are looking. Well, I guess that's true. People are looking and they have greater means to look. Bigger telescopes, bigger toys. Exactly. Now, it's possibly the second interstellar object to have suddenly appeared. The first was an apparent interstellar meteor that impacted Earth in 2014. Did you hear about that one? No. Well, neither did I. (laughs) Those two objects and a supermassive black hole, there's a lot going on up in the sky, Michelle. Do you know what it reminds me of? Aliens. No, another film. Interstellar? No, 
but oh, it does okay. remind me of that too. It reminds me of 2001: A Space Odyssey. Did you ever see that? Oh, the I'm Kubrick sure I film. did, but I, I just don't remember films. I just don't remember them. It's a them. classic. Yes, of course it is. And it's been around forever. And, you know, it was all the... That's the one. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and then the, the ladies are walking upside down in their craft. Mm-hmm. And they've all got lovely 60s looks about them. You even said that they used the set to film the moon landings. They did. They faked it. They faked it, but we're not going there. Not today, Michelle. Not today. Well, that film was based on a short story called The Sentinel, which was written in 1948 for a BBC competition, a short story competition about the discovery of of a monolith object, which sounds to me like umwamwa, on Earth's (laughs) moon. So this this object was left on Earth's moon by ancient aliens and it was made of a polished mineral it was kind of like a big long like a crystal kind of thing like you know you see those long tall crystals like a it's called a tetrahedron like a triangular yes, okay. pyramid yeah I'm sorry I just keep thinking of oh my god Who? the Justin justified ancients, ancients of, of moon I don't know. Anyway, this monolith is surrounded by a spherical force field and it sparks interest in the Earth scientists because it indicates that alien civilizations beyond our capabilities do exist. And of course, Earthlings, they need to go and check it out. And that was the basis of that story, The Sentinel. It was transmitting a signal that eventually stopped and then we got curious and it was all about it being a, a warning to mankind. So director Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke, the writer of that story, joined forces and they both wrote the screenplay to 2001 A Space Odyssey. Right. Isn't it? Is it A what? Space Odyssey? Did I say Odyssey or Oddity? Oddity? I think I said Odyssey, but maybe there was uh, I think you said Oddity. too many teeth and I was in like, my mouth. Hang on. I think it's A Space Odyssey. But look, it, it is A Space Oddity also. It's, a, it's an Oddity and an Odyssey. But there was that song by David <laughs> Bowie, which is A Space Oddity. Ground control to Major Tom, your circuit's dead. (laughs) Moving on, moving on. So in the film, there's, again, it's very similar to The Sentinel, the story it was based on. Mysterious alien civilization has a floating space monolith, (laughs) which is used to investigate worlds across the galaxy and, if possible, to encourage the development of intelligent life. And there's a character, one of the two astronauts who was sent out with their supercomputer, Hal, 3000, I think he was called, who took over and sent them down into a black hole. And Mm. as he enters it, he goes into, no, he goes into the monolith and has all these images. I'm kind of giving a spoiler here, but he says, my God, it's full of stars. And that's like a massive meme. It's also become a poem by Tracy K. Smith, who is the American poet laureate for a while. I love that sentence. My God, it's full of stars. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it made me think about Professor Brian Cox. Of course, he's our fave. And I wonder what he thought of all these crazy ideas and sci-fi and aliens and things. Do you know what he thinks about them, Michelle? No, I have no clue. Well, I'll find out and I'll tell you later. Sorry, this isn't (laughs) flowing very well. (laughs) I'll tell you later. 
<laughs> I wanted to go back to, it made me think of Brian Cox, but also I wanted to just tell you about Arthur C. Clarke and his Hal, you know, the AI. He wrote that in 1948, yeah. that story, right? And then they filmed it. I think this film was in 1970s, no, 1968. I can't remember. I haven't written it down. Sorry. Didn't do very well on that front. But Arthur C. Clarke was president of the Interplanetary Society, amongst other things. He was a scuba diver, all sorts of amazing things. And he was host of Arthur C. Clarke's, what was it called again? Mysteries. I don't know. He had a mystery show. It was great. Unexplained Mysteries. His kind of writing always included these crazy ideas about the future. And more than often, Michelle, he was accurate. He managed to slip into his previous books things like the internet, satellite communications, iPhones, Google and targeted ads on social media way, way before his time. Are you serious? That's just a little side note. Yes. Wow. Look into it. It's quite incredible. Do you know what? Like, And this will kind of tie into what I'm going to talk about, but it does make you wonder about whether these people are time travellers. But I'm well, just going to leave you with Interesting that. that you're going to talk about time travel. I hope we haven't crossed over. I just want to quickly tell you about the multiverse because that's where we started, wasn't mm. it? Before I told you about the black hole and ooh, mah, mah, mah. <laughs> So Brian Cox does explain the multiverse quite well. He says that Einstein's theory about the Big Bang created the universe in one single event. But according to the bubble theory, which we had our listener on YouTube spoke up about, that's when the inflation phase of the Big Bang you know, inflation, we're yeah. inflating right now. It was already in existence. So perhaps big bangs are occurring all the time. And ours was just for our universe, which means yeah. that there must be other more universes, i.e. multiverses. This is now scientifically accepted theory, Michelle. Yep. Just can't quite be proven yet. The multiple universes or dimensions could actually even bump into each other. And this in turn could create another big bang and another universe gets made. It's just constantly going on and on and on. And then there's the idea of baby universes inside black holes, which is going back to what you said at the mm. beginning. What you won't like to hear from Brian, though, is that he says it's very unlikely that aliens exist because the chances of sophisticated life evolving like we have done are simply too low. He says there's probably nothing else like us in our galaxy because it took so long for us humans to evolve from a single cell in such extraordinary circumstances. He doesn't think it's been repeated. What does he know? <laughs> Maybe a little bit more than you, Michelle. I'm not sure. Look, he doesn't know everything. He doesn't. You're right. Brian doesn't know everything. He knows a lot, though. And he, he told does. this magazine called Noble Rot, he said, you can confine the argument to the galaxy, to the Milky Way, because we're never going to contact anything outside that. And nothing's huh. ever contacting us from different galaxies. It's just not going to happen, he says. I can see his point because we only have limited technology to be able to monitor our galaxy. So the chances of us understanding, even if we were being contacted, yeah. is, is limited and our, our scope is limited. But that doesn't mean that there's no aliens. I'm just saying. Well, I'd like to keep my mind open as well, actually. But That's do you know a great what else? term, yes. Keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. Do you know what else he said, though, Michelle, before I move off from Brian Cox? He also said on This Morning, one of our favourite places for research, <laughs> This Morning with Phil and Holly, he said, we might be holograms and that the universe might not be the way that we perceive it to be. Well, speaking of holograms, have you been up on all this ABBA talk with the hologram? Yeah. I'm desperate to go. I would absolutely love to go and see that hologram ABBA show because it's had incredible reviews. 
Oh, okay. Well, maybe we should try and do that. If we can get a ticket, I think it's the hottest thing going. We probably missed our moment. So if anybody out there with links can hook us up, get in touch. Connections, ABBA connections. Well, actually, she did used to be my next door neighbour, but she's not there anymore. Otherwise, I'd oh, go Frida? the door. Frida, yes, Frida. Oh, she's moved, is she? Yeah, she has moved. Where'd she move to? I don't know. The tax breaks weren't working for her anymore. (laughs) But yeah, so she's long gone. Anyway, there are a lot of theories involving the existence of a multiverse. As I said before, they are serious and could be provable. So I then listened to an episode on Radio 4 of In Our Time with Melvin Bragg, where the panellists, it's great, isn't it? And I love his Mm. voice. The panellists discussed the multiverse. And they also said, you know, it's a very real possibility. As we know, the universe is certainly expanding. But what about this, Michelle? Forget the Big Bang. What about the Big Bounce? Whoa. Okay. That's where the observable part of our universe is a result of many Big Bangs. Again, going back to what Brian said before, the expansion, then collapse, or they call it a crunch event, one after the other on repeat and creating a different version of each universe every single time. Like boom, bomb, beam, bomb, beam, bomb, bish, bash, bosh. Constant, constant, constant. It's a new universe. Bubble, bounce, they're all, yeah, exactly. But it's like being created and collapsing all, you know, I I don't know. I'm getting a bit confused. Is it the same universe? It's different every time. And then what happens to that universe? It exists. Okay. Starting from scratch or? Yeah, probably. Like we had to. Oh, man. And then there's this one. Extra spatial dimensions. Another universe imprisoned in the unseeable fourth dimension, which is located just millimetres away from our reality. What do you think of that one? I love that one. I like it. I love that one. And then finally, there's this one, the anthropopic. Anthropopic? Oh. Anthropic, maybe? Argument. Oh, God. Who knows? There's the anthropopic. I'm going to call it that because it says that on my notes. (laughs) Argument, which is that we are not randomly formed going back to what Brian says, we are not randomly formed by these events. We as a species are very special, carbon-based beings. Stars had to die for us to be born. We are made of stardust. My (gasps) God, it's full of stars. (gasps) We are stars. We are stars. We forget that. We're made of stardust. Carbon-based. Ziggy Stardust, new. Star man. We're going to have to start paying royalties to David Bowie's estate soon, aren't we? So basically, we're just a minuscule part of a much larger domain. Michelle, do you know where this took me? I mean, I'm really sorry about this episode. I'm just all over the shop. I love this, though. I love this because, do you know what? We talk talk about wormholes, and this is a research wormhole, just as a black hole has wormholes and dimensions and... It's, it's wonderful. I'm loving it. I'm glad because now I'm going to tell you about time slips and I'm really hoping that you're not going to tell me about no, them later on. No, no, I am not. I don't have anything on that. All right. I was talking to a friend, Moira, when I was telling her about this week's episode, the dimensions, I was exploring them. It's really yeah. difficult for a layman like me to understand all this stuff that I've been talking about. I can listen to many Melvin Bragg episodes. I can watch Brian Cox on the TV. I still don't really understand it. I'm just not wired that way. It's hard. But thinking about that fourth dimension, now we're in kind of like a fantasy realm, aren't we? That we're operating, you know, we're operating on a different plane to that fourth dimension. It's unseen to us. And you and I have often discuss the possibility of ghosts being an accidental run in or overlap of dimensions Mm -hmm. well 
there's a historian called Arthur Toynbee who had written a book called A Study of History about experiencing something called a time slip. That is where he has been transported many, many times to another time other than his present. And in one experience, he had loads of them, right, Mm -hmm. where he'd see things which were like a snapshot or a moment in a time gone. And he saw it and he wasn't on mushrooms and he wasn't on acid, (laughs) I don't think. If he was, he didn't point that out. But in one particular mad experience, he was walking by Victoria Station here in London when he was presented with all of history parading past him in a procession. What? I know. But this is a little bit like when people are on their deathbed and they see that, you know, something flash before their eyes. They say it's their life, but in fact, it's their history. So that was that. Then that led me to finding out about this other thing that happened to two women in 1901 in okay. France, in Versailles, in the court of Versailles. They went to visit it. You know, you can, mm-hmm. it's just outside of Paris. You can go and visit it. Mm-hmm. There's two ladies called Charlotte Anne Mobley and Eleanor Jordan. They visited the Palace of Versailles on the 10th of August. That's my birthday. In 1901, traveling by train to Versailles. And they weren't very impressed by what they saw at the palace. So they went for a walk through the gardens to the Petit Trianon. Now, I've never been to Versailles, have you? No. Basically, the, the Petit Trianon is apparently just one of the buildings on the grounds of the Versailles Palace and stuff. But after reaching the Grand Trianon, they found it was close to the public. They had a guidebook with them, but they were still lost because they missed a turn for the main avenue. But then they entered a lane where they bypassed their destination. And that's when Mobley said that she then noticed a woman shaking a white cloth out of a window. And Jordan recalled noticing an old deserted farmhouse outside of which was an old plough. The women both experienced at that time a feeling of oppression and dreariness. And then they saw some men who looked like palace gardeners who gave them some directions because they're feeling really lost and confused at this point. They were also really confused about the way the guys were dressed. They said that they were dressed as very dignified officials dressed in long greyish green coats with small three-cornered hats. So maybe they were thinking this is some kind of... Reconstruction or... Reconstruction, I don't know. They then noticed a cottage with a woman holding out a jug to a girl in the doorway, which Jordan thought was some sort of living picture. Yes, Jordan said it looked like she was witnessing a living painting or a waxwork or something. And yeah, so Mobley didn't see that. Only Jordan saw that. But they both felt the atmosphere change. And they later wrote, everything suddenly looked unnatural, therefore unpleasant. Even the trees seemed to become flat and lifeless like woodworked in a tapestry. There were no effects of light and shade and no wind stirred the trees. They reported reaching the edge of a wood close to some kind of temple somewhere and coming across a man seated beside a garden kiosk wearing a cloak and a shady sun hat. Mobley thought his appearance was repulsive and wrong and there was a really bad atmosphere about him. She later wrote... The man slowly turned his face, which was marked by smallpox. His complexion was very dark. The expression was evil and yet unseeing. And although I did not feel that he was looking particularly at us, I felt a repugnance to going past him. Hmm. Then they said that there was another man who they described as tall, with large dark eyes and crisp curling black hair under a large sombrero hat. Sounds like you. What? 
Roger. You were wearing a sombrero hat recently. Oh, it wasn't a sombrero. It was a go- it was my birthday gift. It's a lovely Oh, that's your hat. Oh. It's a lovely um conical sombrero. African hat, actually. You do love a big wide-brimmed hat, don't you? Well, anyway, this guy was wearing a sombrero. Yeah. <laughs> and he came up to them and showed them the way back to where the Petit Trianon. As they walked back, Mobley said she noticed a lady sketching on the grass who looked at them after they crossed a bridge to reach the gardens in front of the palace. She later described the lady as wearing a light summer dress and a shady white hat with lots of fair hair. Mobley said that she thought this lady was a tourist at first, but the dress appeared to be old-fashioned. Then Mobley said she believed it was Marie Antoinette. But Jordan couldn't back her up as she didn't see her either. The ladies eventually returned to the palace and they were directed around to the entrance and joined a party of other visitors and they felt like they were back in their own reality. And afterwards, neither of them mentioned the incident to one another until after their trip and they were back in Oxford. Mobley wrote a letter to her sister about their trip and she wondered if the Petit Trianon was haunted. Jordan Mm. told her that she thought it was... And three months later, the pair said they compared their notes and decided to write separate accounts of what had happened while also researching the history of the Trianon. They thought they might have seen events that took place on the 10th of August in 1792 instead of 1901, six weeks before the abolition of the French monarchy, when the Tuileries Palace in Paris was besieged and the King's Swiss Guards were massacred. Oh, my goodness. A very important moment in time. But do you think they could have just had too much champagne? Acid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Drugs. Because it does sound a little trippy. It does, doesn't it? And it could be the case. It could be the case. But what about this one, Michelle? In 1996, something similar happened to a man called Frank in Bold Street, Liverpool, in England. Oh, what happened to Frank? Well, I got this from a Reddit user and also there was other stories across the internet, like even Psychology Today had it in there. Ex-policeman Frank, who is very straightforward and does not believe in the paranormal, went Mm. shopping in Liverpool city centre with his wife (laughs) and they decided that they wanted to go and, well, she decided she wanted a book from Waterstones, the bookshop. So they started to walk towards Waterstones and as they approached Bold Street, Frank decided to go to another shop first. He decided, I don't want to go into Waterstones with you right now, wife. I want to go somewhere else. And then he bumped into a friend. He stopped to chat in the street. And his wife went on to Waterstones to buy her book without him. A few moments later, Frank said goodbye to his friend. He visited his shop and turned to go back to meet his wife. After reaching Bold Street, he headed towards the bookstore. And as he approached, he glanced up and was surprised to see the name Crips above the door. Not Waterstones. Crips. Crips. As he was about to cross over to see what was going on, Hmm. a van drove past him with the name Cardens on the side and the van honked an old-fashioned sounding horn as it Hmm. drove past him. But was it an old-fashioned car? It was. It was vintage. He looked around and Frank suddenly realised that things were not what they should be. He looked and saw the cars that were driving past him were all vintage from the 50s and 60s and he saw the people wearing hats and max the men were wearing hats and max the women were dressed in headscarves with their full skirts and had these dated post-war hairstyles frank's getting a weird feeling now michelle <laughs> so he carries on crossing the road and he heads towards the shop and as he got closer he noticed through the window there were handbags and shoes and umbrellas this is waterstones which is now crips suddenly he saw a young woman standing looking totally bemused up at the shop sign and she was wearing modern day 1996 clothes as well And she saw him approach and she smiled at him. Frank went into the shop, closely followed by the young woman. 
and when they entered, they were surprised and very happy to see that it had indeed turned back into Waterstones, the bookshop. And the young woman smiled, shook her head and said, that was strange, I thought it was a new clothes shop. Then she walked away looking extremely puzzled. So somebody else was... Somebody else experienced what Frank experienced. Right. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, my first thought was he's just having a mental... No, well, maybe. But it was more a mental flashback to either a film he'd seen or Mm. maybe photographs from his parents who maybe grew up in the area or maybe him as a child. In it. He was in it. He was in it. Yeah. He heard the noises and... And he felt the atmosphere change. Mm. He said he was really unnerved about the experience and he would tell anyone who would listen about the Bold Street incident for years to come. And he did some research and found out that Cripps used to be a woman's clothing shop after all. And Cardin's was also a well-known Liverpool firm that owned fans around the time Frank found himself in. Wow. So what do you think? Was it ghosts? Was it inadvertent time travel? Or was it, like I said, a crossing over of alternate universes? A time slip into an alternate universe. Mm. Because, I mean, I like this idea of time slips. I mean, why not? You know, why not? But I don't have any answers for what happened to to poor old Frank. And he probably thought he was losing his mind. Yeah. Well, these are things that can't be proven. But scientists say that the nature of time is one of the biggest mysteries and we simply do not understand what time is. And the universe's speed limit, which is the speed of light, is faster than anything that in our universe can travel. And finally... I'm going to tell you that the multiverse theory explains how it could be possible for people to have travelled faster than light speed during time slips. And that's all I could find on the subject, Michelle. Yeah, but it's endlessly fascinating. Isn't it? There are so many time slip stories as well. What? Like movies, you mean? Or people on the internet? On the internet and the Reddit. Oh God, the internet is full of time travellers. I've been looking at loads of them this week. It's on, it's on, it's on like it's Donkey going, Kong. It's gone, it's on, it's on, on like Donkey it's Kong. going, going, gone. You know, like I said before, I was thinking about if time travel could be real because I've just finished this book and it was absolutely gorgeous and it was called How to Stop Time by a British writer called Matt Haig. He's spectacular. I mean, he's got these Beautiful ideas and clever ways of telling stories. No one reads books anymore either, Michelle. So well done you. I love a book. Like I said, it's called How to Stop Time. And it's this time skipping story, actually, in a way. Wow. And it's about a guy. It's fiction. It's about a guy who's born with a condition called anageria. And look, these are not spoilers so much. So you can go and read this book. It's where you grow and age normally until around the age of 15, after which you only physically age one year for every 15 years you live. But you still continue to mentally grow at at a normal pace. Did you tell me about this? Yeah, maybe I could have because I just absolutely love this book. So in the book, he's 439 years old, but he's what he looks 41. And in his life, he's hung out with Shakespeare and Captain Cook and he was a pianist in the Roaring Twenties in New York and he's lived all over the world. But he's currently passing himself off as a 41-year-old London high school history teacher who somehow has a gift for making history come alive because basically he's lived it. And with his condition, he never gets sick and he has an incredible memory. But also, it's kind of a sad existence because obviously he's doomed 
to watch everyone he loves grow old and die. Like the hunger, David Bowie reference number four. Listen, I got a bit confused at the beginning of this story, Michelle. I thought it was a real syndrome. <laughs> no, 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 I did say you're talking about fiction. fiction. Yeah. But I'm just telling you about this book, which kind of inspired me to like go and search the internet for all these time travels. Okay. I guess it's a sort of a bit of a book review in a way because I just absolutely love it. What happens to this poor guy? His name's Tom Hazard. He realises that no matter what century he lives in, he's basically a freak. And he's always in danger because, you know, people can't get their heads around the fact that in 15 years, they, they've they gone from 30 to 45 and they look at and, and he still looks the same. So people right. start to get suspicious, especially around the time of the witch hunts. And all of these things. So yes. it's it's a really interesting book. But anyway, one day this guy finds him and tells him about the secret society of other people who are like him. And if he joins this society, then they can all protect each other. But, you know, the rules are you're not, never allowed to fall in love. You're never allowed to stay anywhere more than eight years. You're never allowed to have your photo taken. And you always have to change your name. So it's kind of a shitty life. But it's mm. the only way that they can survive and not become noticed for never aging or worse being institutionalized or experimented on you know because they potentially hold the the secret to the fountain of youth or never it's aging fascinating. Mm. sounds like a great book michelle but at the heart of the book is this sort of running theme of well how to find yourself when you're you're lost and whether or not life is worth living without love and actually the the final paragraph is where it all kind of comes together but It did make me think, well, why couldn't this be true? Are there people out there passing themselves off as the same as as me and you? And we call them old souls and we meet people who just never seem to to age. And yes, I know it could be Botox and fillers, obviously. (laughs) But it did make me think, could people like that exist? Is it? Do they? I don't know. Because we'll never know because people are not going to come forward and say it. But... Right, Could yeah. there be some kind of genetic disposition to this? So I don't know. Well, my mum's 70. No, my mum's almost 80 and she d- never has to dye her hair. It's dark brown. Is she one? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, you just never know. But I love the idea that there are people out there who, you know, look younger than me and 500 years old. So it would be <laughs> That's not true, wonderful. is it, Michelle? No, but could it be? I mean, is it really that far-fetched when we think about all of these time-travelling things and whatever? Because do you know what? He also has another book, and I've only bought it. I haven't read it. And it's called The the Midnight Library. And the premise of this book is, and this is just from The Dust Jacket, it says, "Between, between life and death, there's a library. And within that library, the shelves go on forever with books. And every book is a chance to try another life that you could have lived. A bit like the multiverse. A bit like the multiverse to see how things might have panned out panned if out. you'd made other choices. Well, you'll look like an axolotl, though, because it will be a, you know, a different version of the universe. Well, <laughs> Different experiences, you... different circumstances leading to us forming. And therefore, we'll look like, you know, a pink three-headed buffoon. 
I but that's know. only if you pick a book right, you know, towards the end. Of, well, it's it's an infinite <laughs> library. But, you know, I just thought that was a lovely idea. And, and no, it, is. it asks the idea, like, would you have done anything different if you had the chance to undo your regrets? This is something that I often think about because we live our lives and we make decisions every single day and we make the best decisions that we can in the moment. But we often don't even realise that those decisions have massive massive consequences Mm. for us and I do think about it a lot because in fact I just had a conversation the other day with with a friend of mine whose kids are all leaving home and she was saying she's going through a bit of a crisis and that looking back on her life she feels like she hasn't really lived and it, it occurred to me there's sort of three three sides to this idea because mm. You know, you've got the people like my friend who feel like, well, you know, I haven't lived. I've had I've had my kids and they're all gone and now what? And then there yeah. are people like me who've like lived an excellent life playing music and traveling all over the world and eating all the good food and going to all the good parties. But I don't have kids and I don't have what she had. Yeah. And then you've got these other people like another friend of mine who basically – they don't have any of those things and they don't have the family life that most people have, but they also didn't live an exciting life and they sort of fell through the cracks. So, and I do wonder if they were at the Midnight Library. What would they choose for themselves? Yeah. I do think about sometimes the choices that I've made and if I could go back and do things differently, what would I do? And I could be a time traveller. Well, maybe, Michelle... You'll get lucky and suddenly you'll see a parade of all of history in front of you. Do you think? I could have a time slip. Well, actually, a time slip, I think it seems like you get pulled back into... They happened to Toynbee all the time. Right. All the time. That's interesting. I can't explain it. Well, because, you know, there are so many movies that talk about time travel. Maybe not so much time slips, but, you know, if you think about classics like Terminator... Donnie Darko, Time Bandits, even Bill and Ted's, you know, Back to the Future. So all of these things, you know, it's a theme that just keeps going. And so I did a little bit of duck, duck going into this. Okay. And Einstein does have a theory, of course he does, about time travel. And he reckons it's possible and that it's already happening. It's just not what we think. Right. So there's this thing called time dilation, which is part of Einstein's theory of special relativity, because he was the first person to realize that time isn't constant, but that it actually slows down as you move faster through space. Huh? Okay, so think of it like putting a bowling ball in the center of a trampoline. So... Any object on that trampoline slides towards the center Mm -hmm. at a faster rate. And that's how Einstein thought of time and space, that it's curved and that it's malleable and that it has kind of gravitational dips. So space is a trampoline. Yes. So basically, the closer something gets to the center of the dip, right, so the faster it accelerates. So basically, the Earth is the bowling ball and space is or is it space is the bowling ball oh my god oh, I've, I've confused myself oh, now i've oh, confused dear. myself oh. 
What do you think? I'm not sure about that. But basically, whatever gets gets closer to the center of the dip, the faster it goes. So the, the faster an object is to the center of the earth, the slower time moves, sorry, for that object. I've just got everything wrong. Jesus Christ. Neil, the scientist, is going to just massacre me. Look, we always say we play fast and loose with the facts. And yes. I'm not good at science at all, but I'm fa- I'm fascinated by it. This is our, our eavesdroppers, little <laughs> to- toe in the water for science. Have a little science episode for- on us and then you'll be as in the know as we are. Or clueless as much. I am. Yeah. Jesus. But what I did find out is that with these, there are GPS satellites. And we're talking the ones that are like really, really far out, like 20,000 plus kilometers above the Earth. Uh-huh. And these satellites have these super precise clocks on them that gain an average of 38 microseconds per day because what? of time dilation. Oh my Lord. Which sounds like nothing. I mean, 38 microseconds? It all adds up, Michelle. Well, that's what they say because they said that these GPS satellites rely on these onboard clocks for really precise global positioning. And running 38 microseconds fast means a positioning error of nearly 10 kilometers. That's wow. massive. So, yeah. And like you say, it all adds up. So if they're not constantly corrected... It's going to just be fucked for all our GPS. We're going to end up God knows where. <laughs> so what this means is effectively we can go forward but not backwards with time okay. dilation. However, I did look up whether or not anyone has ever come forward and said, I'm a time traveller. And of course, in the sun. They have. Yes, there's loads in of the them. Sun. In the sun. I look, And there's loads on YouTube as well. There was an article from 2019 where a guy called Noah, and that's not his real name, he reckons he's a professional time traveller from the year 2030. And he says he's basically terrified that he'll bump into a past version of himself and cause a paradox, which is going to basically rip the universe to pieces. So he says that his natural time is 2030. And that's the year all of his family and friends are in. But he got fired from his job on a mission in the year 2017, which is why he's stuck in 2019. Is this not the same guy on TikTok that keeps posting all these predictions? Because he's a time, oh, they are a time traveller that I told you about on another episode. Hang on. Is it Alexander Smith who says he's from the year 2118? Have you seen it? I have. Is it, okay, is it an old guy in a, in a weird suit? No, you'd never see them. You just see all these weird kind of muse-style video clips of planets and things with really dark music in the background saying, it's true, it's happening, it's coming. Oh, I'm Jesus. true, I'm telling you the truth here. <gasps> this is what's going to happen. And I told you a few things about it. Yeah, like, you uh, did. A few episodes ago. Yeah, this is not the same guy. I mean, Noah... He reckons he's been recruited by a U, like a secret U.S. government time travel program, and that, like I said, he's a professional time traveler, but he's kind of like fucked up. And in this article, there's a an X-ray, a supposed X-ray of his hand, which shows this little tiny capsule in his skin, embedded under his skin, which you can see in the X-ray. But to me, it actually looks like, you know, when you change a fuse and you've got that glass little 
capsule. Yeah. Yeah, it just looks like one of those in his hand. I don't know. And anyone who's got an app can do Photoshop. So I don't Mm -hmm. know. But he says that capsule helps transport all the atoms in his body through time. But he says, I'm not a scientist and he doesn't know all the details. So He just does it. He just does it. This reminds me of that film Looper. Have you seen that? No. It's really good. Bruce Willis and Paul Dano. Okay. And uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Ah, that guy. I'm not... It's really good. I'm not keen on that guy. But anyway, I don't know about this guy, Noah, because obviously he didn't meet a version of himself and rip the universe to pieces because, you know, we're all still here. But this other guy called Alexander Smith, who says he's from the year 2118, He's all over YouTube and he reckons he's actually got a picture from 2118, right? And I've seen this video and and it's shit. It's quite shit because, first of all, the video is really blurry and his face doesn't move. And do you know what? It reminds me of when you see people with filters on their face. Yeah. And their face looks kind of... Weird. Not right. Yeah. And that's what this guy looks like. He's got this weird, like, crumply face. He's got this awful suit on, which is all, again, really crumpled. And the thing is, like, there's this voiceover in English where he sounds like Forrest Gump. Huh. It's just weird. And, I mean, you know, is English going to survive in 2118? It will be different. Of course. But he's just speaking, like us so I I don't know and his his lips don't move and his face is kind of melty and and then he pulls out this picture and it it looks like this crappy print from snappy snaps it doesn't even look like a city from the the picture of what's all blurry and it doesn't even look like a city it looks like these like green spikes and then it's all blurry like, it's a dud. Honestly, I call bullshit on that. But mm. he says it's proof that he's a time traveler. And he okay. says that we all face threats in the future, like AI taking over. Oh, God. Which I can see we're already on that path. So that's not yeah. really a mind-blowing kind of prediction. Because, you know, I know we talk a lot about Black Mirror, but that's what Black Mirror is. You know, a lot of that sort of idea. And then he says... That global warming is the number one threat in 2118. Well, I'm sorry, but like... It already is. It already is. And according to the climate scientists, which I'm not trying to take the piss out of this subject because it's incredibly serious and I do really feel like we are on the edge of self-destructing with climate change. But if he's right, well, it didn't happen, did it? Because tw- if he's coming back from 20, 2118 and saying, oh, global warming's a problem, well... It's not. Then, Because yeah. it's there. Exactly. In 2118. Yeah. We, I guess we didn't all become a hot ball of flame or whatever. And that humans did survive. It's just weird. And, and I'm not joking, but like the outfit he's wearing. Are people really wearing shit like that in the future? I don't know. Well, I don't know because I haven't seen it. Crumpled suits. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But look, there's all stuff like this on a channel on YouTube called Apex TV. And they've got loads of time travellers talking about their experiences and they're racking up the hits. So I guess they're Uh doing great with the monetization, you know. And this is what I feel like. I feel like it's a bit fake. But 
there is another guy called William Taylor who says he was sent to the year 8973 in a secret time machine created by the British government, which will be available for us all to use in six years' time. I would hate to do that. What, go forward in time? To 89 whatever it was, no thanks. 8973. What about going back in time? Or are you quite happy right where you are? I'm happy where I am, yeah. Although I've been watching on Disney the Sex Pistols story based on Steve Jones's autobiography, I don't know, or journals or whatever, I don't know. And it reminds me how much I love the 70s. <laughs> the punks, the hippies, everything. Yeah. So you would like to go back? The three-day week. Well, you know, I like cane furniture, so I can still live like I'm in the 70s. And I've got some flares. I'll just do that. And I wear patchouli oil sometimes. Yes, you do. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like if I could go back, change a few things, and then come back to where I am, that would be brilliant. I don't, I don't like the idea of that, Michelle, because I feel like you are where you are because of what you've experienced and the decisions that you've made. And you would be a different version of yourself if you did that. Yeah, but maybe a better version of myself, a richer version of myself, <laughs> because I had an opportunity to buy loads of Bitcoin when, I mean, I was buying something dodgy off the internet and you could only pay in Bitcoin. And at the time, it was one US dollar was one Bitcoin. And I had to buy 71 Bitcoin to pay for this thing. But you could only buy Bitcoin in increments of 10. In the end, I didn't do it. I ended up paying with my credit card. But I would have had nine Bitcoin. Do you know how much that, well, not in the last weeks, but before that, how much that would have been worth? I would have been a very wealthy lady. I would change that. The whole part of that story, I wasn't even focusing because I'm still wondering what was the dodgy thing you were buying off the internet? Can't say. I can't say. It wasn't, wow. It wasn't guns. I'll just tell you that. Okay. I, I wouldn't buy. No. Oh, my God. No, A man. of course not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I blow up one. No. No, 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 no. I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> Don't say it. I'm not going to say it. We'll all just have to wonder. Mm. We'll all make it up in our minds and God knows what we'll come up with. Well, do you know what? If I was in the the Midnight Library, I think I would take out a book where I could change that moment where I came to stay with you after I'd left my ex-boyfriend and then I went back to him. In that Midnight Library, I wouldn't go back to well, him. Well, if you'd done that, you may have lost your flat. I don't like to entertain this at all, Michelle. I don't think it's right <laughs> to go back into time and change things because we are where we are. No matter what we've done, said, experienced, I don't want to feel any shame, any guilt, any remorse, any regret because I am who I am and I'm where I am. And this is this is my reality and that is your reality, right? You can pine about the past. You can regret the past of course but they are so useless because they've built you to where you are now what you do have the ability to do is change now change yourself now if you need things to change in your life make it happen you've got the ability to do that you can do it from within you can do it externally you have the power I know I sound like some fucking cult leader right now but actually I think regretting the past or wanting to change the past is the most dangerous thing anyone can do. I feel very strongly about that. I'm not saying I want to change the past and I'm not saying that I have 
massive, massive regrets. I mean, I do. There are things that I regret in we my life. We all do. We all do. But that's also not to disregard where I am. I'm very happy with my life. I have a fantastic life and I know it. However, if I could have those nine Bitcoin, I might go back and change that, you know. Or sure. maybe when my friend told me to to go and buy a house in Copacabana because they were, you know, 50,000 Australian dollars. I should have maybe done that because I'd be a multimillionaire right now. But, but what if you did and you weren't? Then you'd be regretting it for a different reason. I think that you are where you are and it's fine. Where you are is just good enough. And you are good enough, Michelle. You are oh, good enough. Thank you. Because you've learned. You've learned things. You have learned things along the way and you can't discount that. Whether you had a bad experience or a good experience, it's built you and it's it's guided you and it's made you who you are. And that's really, really special. Well, thank you. And look, I do agree that, you know, we are where we are. We are a product of all our experiences. They have all shaped us to be in this moment where we are right now. And all we have is this moment. The past is gone. The past cannot be changed. All we have is this moment in the right now. We don't even have the future because that's no. that's unwritten. You know, that's still to come. However, you know, I think it's fun to think about what would I change if I could. And this idea of time travel and going back. I mean, it sounds to me like you wouldn't step in that TARDIS. I would if I was on a holiday. But I wouldn't go back in my time and try and change my timelines. I'd like maybe for curiosity's sake, if there was a TARDIS, yeah, I'd look around, go back, live my life. But actually, when we're talking about, I guess what I'm talking about is a philosophical idea. Of course. Rather than, yeah. And it's about you are who you are. You've learned, the, you've learned from your mistakes. You've learned from your achievements. You've learned from a lot of things and from the interactions you've had up until now. And if you were to change something, you might not have had those influences and you would be a different person altogether. Yes. I just find it fascinating to see what those different realities might have been. But but I don't regret where I am. It's more a fascination and a curiosity. And, of course, we all look back and think, yes, I could have had those nine bitcoins. I sound really bitter about <laughs> those, those bloody bitcoins. nine bitcoins. But <laughs> I, I, Didn't the arse drop out of bitcoin just now? Yes, it has. Yeah, of course, as I said, not right now. I mean, they're no. worth nothing. But also, you know, we all know people where money doesn't make you happy. So maybe if I'd had all that money, maybe I wouldn't exactly. be happier than what I am right now. So That's right, Michelle. No, look, I know it's a, it's a philosophical debate. And it's, it's one that is deliciously mind-boggling because there are no right answers. It's just about curiosity and mm. it certainly is not going to happen. But if you go on the internet, all these people reckon they're time traveling. So keep an open mind, people. I'd like to check that out because I, I do mm. find it interesting to hear that these people are traveling through time. And I would like to look at those things on the on the YouTubes and the TikToks. So maybe I will have a look at that just for fun. You do that. And you know what? I think that leads what? us to the end of our episode where all I have to say to you, Geordie, is thank you very much for your incredible information. Aww. I have to apologise to our, our eavesdroppers for getting all of my Einstein theory wrong, but <laughs> sorry. And for not telling us what dodgy thing you bought off the internet. We're going to wonder 
in perpetuity. (laughs) But that leaves us with just one more thing, Michelle, in this particular timeline right now, in this particular universe, Mm. wherever you are. And whatever you do, just just keep keep eavesdropping. 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 Eaves